Oh my goodness. Mr. Renzo, what is that? It's National Donut Day, Franklin. We got the whole spread. We're up here in the DC bubble, man. We got access to all kinds of variety. Not like those one-stop shops down there in Orlando. I gotta, I gotta tell you, I feel, I feel a little like the country mouse in the big city here. You know, I was going for my regular old Dunkin' Donuts. I still love you, Dunkin' Donuts. I'm now at District Donut here for National Donut Day. And oh my God, these are things I've never even—I never even knew they existed. It's Dude, blowing my mind. We got the creamsicle creme brulee. That sounds pretty awesome. Also, the everything cream cheese. I mean, you know, you don't necessarily equate cream cheese and donuts, but I'm telling you, it looks good. The peanut butter chocolate. I mean, key lime pie. Your Joe Kefoffer is is back in Orlando. We're spread across the country this week. No donuts for him. No donuts for him. But we're still making the podcast happen. Let's do the show. We need to talk about your flair. I think I'm going to have to go supersize. We need a political revolution. And we will make America great again. From the home office of Align Public Strategies in downtown Orlando, Florida, this is Working Lunch. Coming up on the podcast, a West Coast burger chain has stolen the playbook of a local union and has petitioned the NLRB to hold an election. Yes, literally asking for an election, and the union's crying foul. We'll take a deep dive into that ironic turn of events and try to sort it all out. And Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the notorious AOC, was back bartending last week in her Queens, New York district to draw attention to the plight of restaurant and service industry workers. We'll discuss how that event was covered and what it means for the industry. And the industry is starting to feel the effects of the ongoing trade war we're having with, well, everybody at this point. With another round of tariffs pending, we will be joined once again by Hyun Kwaik, the Vice President of International Trade for the Retail Industry Leaders Association, who will help us understand the impact on the industry and what operators need to know. We'll talk about those stories and wrap it up with a legislative scorecard. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the show. I'm Joe Kefauver, along with my line partners, Franklin Coley and Joe Rinzel, who are both in the D.C. bubble this week, side by side in our nation's capital. So, Franklin, we've been watching around the office now for many months the union activity going on in the Northeast, particularly in Portland. The Wobblies. The Wobblies, and we've we've talked about this many times, Um, and they're two different uh, organizations have been, you know, semi uh, unionized Burgerville was first up, and then Little Big Burger followed suit. There was a major uptick in activity this last week, but not the kind of activity we're used to seeing. Actually, the employer kind of jumped into the space. Franklin, tell the audience what happened out in Oregon. It's incredibly interesting. It's, it's dripping with irony. It's I love this so much, but easy, easy, fell. I know, I know, I know, but. Just to kind of level set, it started like a normal negotiation or a normal process between a potential union employer would. They demanded union recognition. They demanded that Little Big Burger recognize the Little Big Burger union, cutest sounding union in the face of the planet. Sounds cuddly, Little Big Burger. Yeah. The employer refused or, you know, decided not to recognize the union, which then typically the union would then file an election petition with the NLRB, which would trigger an election, they'd vote, and if they won, you'd have a union. If not, you know, you wouldn't. The employer in this case decided to preempt, to ambush, if you will, the union, 
and for those that are listeners to this pod and, and you know, dialed into this space, ambush elections are a big thing. It, we have these ambush election rules in place as a result of the Obama era in LRB, essentially a two-week period before an election can be held. Usually, the union springs that on the employer. In this case, the employer has sprung that on the union. Why? So it, it sounds like, you know, British prime minister, we're, we're popular right now. We're going to call an election. Boom. We're calling an election. So the, the, the employer jumped on this. Why? To catch the union off guard, essentially. Um, now what, and, and have that two-week window run out before the union get their act together. Exactly. And so what they've done, a lot of the organizing activity um, has been located, has been centralized at one location. And so the company, by filing this election petition with the NLRB, has named the bargaining unit as 13 little big burger locations in all of Oregon. And so there, and this happens, like there's oftentimes a union and the employer go back and forth over what the definition of the bargaining unit is because they, they both want to get... Uh, the unit that that they think they have 50% plus one of the votes in. And so they've sprung this election two weeks, essentially, and they're naming the bargaining unit as all the restaurants all in the entire them. state. Right. Because the unions want to cherry pick. They want they want one or two to speak for the they, whole chain. They want to pick them off one at a time, yeah. and they want to build momentum. And they have the votes. They have, they've done the organizing in one location. So essentially, the company is trying to water it down. So the best part about all this is... The union is now, the Wobblies are now calling this unfair, that it's not a good faith election because it's an ambush election. It's not, we don't have enough time. Yeah. 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 They're arguing, they're yeah. arguing essentially what Hypocrisy, it irony. My favorite part of it is where these locations are, you know, in and around suburban Portland. Uh, many of the employees are, are, are students at Portland State. And the, the, the company called the, for the election during finals week. At Portland State, where they knew a lot of their employees wouldn't be able to, you know, be compromised, couldn't show up. I thought that was pretty. Uh, yes, and the union is definitely crying foul over that. So let's talk about this for a sec. This is kind of a this is a big gamble. This is to lose a hand or two at the blackjack table and come back and put it all on the next hand because. If the company does lose this, then it's not just one restaurant that's going to be unionized. It's now 13. It's the entire chain in the state of Oregon. That's a huge deal. So there's a lot on the line here. But it would be the biggest organizing effort, if they win, of any union in any restaurant chain ever, essentially, to take out 13 locations in one. So the stakes of this are now a lot higher. And and, and so the, the initial NLRB hearing on this petition will, is, is today, this Friday, and it reminds me kind of Red October, instead of running from the torpedo, you go right back toward the torpedo. And, and try to dismantle it, right? And they can confuse it. And that's exactly what the company's done. They've gone right back at the union and said, we're going to play your game on your schedule. And the union's crying foul. It's it's a game of high stakes chickens, what it is. And you're, you're right. They lose, they lose big. But remember, it's an NLRB hearing. And this NLRB, we can assume, might be somewhat more sympathetic to the employer perspective on this. Could you make that assumption, Franklin? We'll see how it plays out. So we are, we will report back next week on how this went, but this is something people really need to watch, pay attention to. It's Little Big Burger. It's out in Oregon. Uh, 13 units are at risk of being unionized at, somewhat ironically, potentially at the behest of the employer. So something to watch. Indeed. And uh, anytime you can work in a uh, Hunt for Red October reference, you know you got a winner. So one ping also, only. One ping only of a song. We, all, one we ping also only. have that going for us.
So last week on the pod, we teed up that our favorite member, freshman member of Congress, Alexandria Casio cortez from Queens, was doing an event with Rock, the Restaurant Opportunity Center in her district, Jackson Heights, Queens, where she was going to celebrity bartend that evening. We were talking about this last Friday. She, she did the event. Franklin, would you say that there was um, significant media coverage for that event? Yes, sir. Would you say that that event was a huge success for AOC? Yes, sir. Would you say that that event was a huge success in legitimizing rock? Yes, sir. Wow, that was painful. Not only listen to, but to watch your face contort like that. I think it legitimized rock with the people that rock already had legitimacy with. I don't know. I, I think I think rock is you know one of many countless groups out there elbowing their way trying to get attention. And when AOC puts you on her shoulder and lifts you up like that and you get national attention, to me that elevated Rock. I think it was a very smart play for Rock. I think everybody involved in it's gotta be very, very happy with the result. I mean, again, you know, as I said to a reporter with Nation's Restaurant News, you know, to me, she's not speaking to mid-America. She's not speaking to the Rotary Club in Kansas City. She's speaking to elites and she wants to be the head of the, the progressive wing of the party and she's speaking to an audience of progressives as they try to for the national agenda and rest control of the the workings of the Democratic Party establishment. And that's the audience she is focused on. Yep, I and, that. and this event was perfect. It was a home run for that audience. AOC doesn't give a rip about kitchen table issues in Kansas City. She cares about this audience. She's picking up the Bernie Sanders torch. She's moving the Overton window. She I think is, she's more I think she's even more rifle shot strategic than Bernie Sanders. I think Bernie Sanders was trying to have a national conversation. She's having much more, I don't want to say localized, that's not the right word, but a much more strategic conversation with certain people. Weren't you the person who argued right after election day? Get this right, because I'm going to correct you. That I feel like Renzel and I said AOC had some staying power, and you argued that she would burn out quickly. From the context of being the standard bearer and the new uh, flavor of the Democratic Party, I said it was a mistake that they should entrust that. It said more about the Democrats. They would entrust that mantle to a freshman 28-year-old bartender. Remember, you jumped all over me about being a bartender. And I do still think she will flame out. I think she will do say, say something cosmically stupid like uh, a couple other freshmen have. Uh, it looked so like she far. was heading that path. She was heading that path. Amazon thing. Yeah. yeah. And, and the Amazon thing, I think, sobered her tremendously. And the people most pissed off about the Amazon thing were from her own district. So I think Amazon was a huge education for her, and I think she has acted much more uh, strategically since that that episode. I bet you if she had a do-over, she'd play that differently. She's done well in kind of rallying the uh, the progressive left, and she's clearly become a figure of kind of hope and change, if you will, to tack a an old catchphrase into a, into a new figure. But I, you know, she has become the personification of that young. I guess millennial, she's in that millennial cohort, the young millennial disenfranchised, passionate, fired up, you know, change the world type type person. She's she's got it. So so you're Franklin Coley, you're the proprietor of Franklin's Bar and Grill in Hickory, North Carolina. What does this mean? Does this have does this impact you at all? What does this mean to you? This alone doesn't mean much of anything, but this Put in the broader context of this drip, drip, drip and the one fair wage and the conversation around the tip credit and 
all the celebrity endorsements that Rock continues to get, whether it's AOC or what's her name, Amy Poehler. What's her, uh, from Amy Poehler? Yeah, Poehler and Danny Glover. And all this attention to what has been kind of a sleep. The tip credit is a sleepy issue, more or less. But Rock has really been the one out there beating the drum. And it has gotten tougher, not only on minimum wage, but also on tip credit to have conversations with policymakers in jurisdiction after jurisdiction. And this continues to elevate that challenge. And and she will continue to elevate that challenge. So that's where it comes home to roost in God's country and good old Hickory, North Carolina at the uh, the local tavern. The see, Hickory Tavern, that's where we go there. See, see that, that why I think it matters to the Hickory Tavern also is, in the bigger picture, is that, you know, as a result of last week, and sure there will be other events like that, the anti-entry-level employment model, the war on the model, I think got elevated in stature as it competes for airtime, not only within the Democratic, you know, congressional party, but in the Democratic nominating process, as it competes for anti-Trump or immigration or, you know, Russia investigation or abortion or whatever it is, it got a big boost in both those pools. The the anti Agenda, you know, service industry agenda, restaurant agenda, got a big boost. Yeah, a green new deal. Whatever they're competing with for for airtime, got a big boost last week. And if I were the proprietor of the Hickory Tavern, that's what what, that's what I would be most, you know, taking with is like that war against me just got a little a little air in in its sails, and that's not good for me. All right, we're here with uh, Hun Quike, who is the uh, vice president of. International Trade at the Retail Industry Leaders Association. We're going to talk about a few things having to do with trade uh, today, hon. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So we've got a kind of dynamic here that's been going on for a couple of years. Our listeners have been paying attention to it in the trade realm where uh, President Trump and the administration is using uh, tariff policies and to encourage uh, – quote, unquote, better trade deals with some of our trade partners. Obviously, we've been focused on China. The latest is Mexico. I think we're finally seeing from a political standpoint some Republicans starting to be a little vocal about this. I think there's obviously a political landscape here, and I'm sure you have some opinions on that. So we want to talk about that a little bit, but then we want to get into kind of how this is going to affect consumers, restaurateurs, retailers, other businesses across the country that are, you know, the majority of our listeners. So why don't you give us a few thoughts initially about kind of the landscape and what we're talking about. Sure. So no question that uh, retailers, restaurateurs, um, basically the the consumer, everything that a consumer is buying is going to be impacted by the tariffs that the administration has either imposed already at a 25%. These are goods coming in from China or they propose to uh, impose. This is a 5% import on import uh, product coming in from Mexico. And so the president uh, just last week had proposed that he's going to tariff literally autos, chorizo coming in, um, a lot of the uh, avocados and fresh fruits and vegetables that are coming in from Mexico. Um, we know that that's in many grocery carts for our customers on a regular basis, if not on the plates at restaurants. So we know that this impact is going to be quite large. Um, and that's one of the reasons why we think we are seeing a lot of the outcry from uh, Democrats and Republicans in opposition to the president's actions when it comes to these tariffs. Totally agree. And, like, hands off my Teresa, just from my perspective. <laughs> I want to get that in there. 
Um, loves a chorizo but, taco. That's right. You can't you can't deny it. I know Franklin loves it. He loves that stuff. Do you see? I mean, you're paying close attention to this, and from a data perspective, are we seeing those prices? You know, particularly I know the Mexico stuff is kind of in being uh, debated rather than enacted, but. From the China imports, are we seeing prices rising on consumer goods? Do we have a sense of how much is this affecting folks' disposable income? You know, are we seeing data like that yet? So we know that tariffs are going to increase the prices that customers pay. And we saw that at the very beginning of last year in 2018 when the president imposed tariffs on washing machines. And the ironic thing is that while washing machine prices have increased up to 16%, the prices of dryers have also gone up. And so when you're looking at whether it's an imported washer-dryer or something that is here produced domestically, all of those prices have gone up. And so more money is being footed by the American public, by American consumers, in paying for these additional tariffs. We also did a study recently to evaluate how much the China tariffs and the steel and aluminum tariffs have impacted American consumers. And what we've seen is that uh, for the average family, we're talking about $2,300 worth of money that in tariffs that they're paying today on some of the everyday products that we've highlighted. So everything from toilet paper to soap dispensers to uh, all the back-to-school products that you have in your backpack. So, you know, this next tranche of tariffs, this tranche four, is going to be basically everything else. So what has not been tariffed yet are clothing, shoes, consumer electronics, so hope you like your iPhone, but also all the toys. So no question that the administration has preserved this last tranche of tariffs to avoid the impact on consumers, but if the administration moves forward with these tariffs this summer, I think that we are going to be faced with a a significantly bigger burden on American consumers. That makes a lot of sense, and, you know, there's kind of a differential here maybe for our audience from durable goods and food costs, you know, and it seems that when we're talking about China, maybe we're talking about more durable goods, and maybe when we're talking about the potential in Mexico, we're talking about agriculture, we're talking about food, particularly in, you know, seasonal food, you know, fruits and vegetables from the summer month. From a restaurant perspective, we've seen some data that shows that, you know, the dollar general customer from a retail perspective that maybe is on the lower end of the economic ladder is feeling that pinch. Do you think retailers and and, and maybe even more specifically restaurant owners should expect softer sales ahead for the next couple quarters? I mean, is that what we're looking at here if these things go into effect? I think the big question is going to be, you know, while while the economy is doing well, costs are going to increase for the customer, no matter whether they're shopping in your retail store or going out to restaurants. And so when you're looking at these tariffs and the amount of disposable income that American families have to buy some of these items, some of them are basics and some of them are discretionary items, we are, they're going to get impacted. And so as more tariffs are put on the, the the products that they buy every day, I think that is going to impact their decisions on whether or not they're going to go out and have that extra dinner out as a family. I also mentioned, you mentioned the China tariffs and the, and the possible tariffs on goods coming in from Mexico. I also make, want to make sure that your listeners are aware of the potential impact of tariffs 
of up to 100% on goods coming in from the European Union. And this is something that I just recently testified before the administration talking to them about the potential impact that these tariffs would have on everything from seafood to my favorite jam to butter and cheese coming in from Europe. The administration has proposed about 300-plus tariff lines covering a couple uh, thousand items coming in from Europe, some of our favorite brands that could be tariffed up to 100% dealing with a this in, in, in this situation is dealing with the uh, the civil aircraft dispute that has been longstanding. Wow, I didn't uh, I didn't know about that Europe stuff. That seems even worse potentially from an economic perspective. Do you uh, you know as this is being used as kind of a, a political tool in, in trade negotiations from the administration? You know we haven't seen this really before. Do you do you see an end in sight anytime soon for this? I mean, are they are they thinking they're winning from the administration perspective on this, or, or are we going to continue? this tariff discussion as, as a means for equaling out our trade disputes with some of these countries, or do you see an end coming? I think there's no question that this administration is very keen, this president is very keen on tariffs. Now, for us in the China dispute, our goal is to get is to support the president in trying to get to a resolution as quickly as possible so that these tariffs could be removed. We understand that the administration um, is very concerned about the technology transfers and the theft of intellectual property protection or intellectual property. Um, this is something that you know has been longstanding, and we don't disagree with the administration's findings. But our goal is to try to make uh, sure that American consumers aren't caught in the crosshairs. So we're hopeful that the administration and the president, when he sits down and meets with President Xi at the end of June for the G20 meeting, that they're able to reach a resolution as quickly as possible. So we're hopeful at the end of this month that the president can reach a deal. We can all have our fingers crossed. Hopefully it'll work out. Last question. If you owned a small retail shop or a restaurant, what would you be preparing for? That's a great question, and I get that question from a lot of our member companies. Look, I think that the two things that I would uh, say to your your listeners, one is it's really important for you all to be engaged in this process moving forward. So the administration is holding um, about two weeks' worth of hearings on the China tariffs because they know how broad of an impact this last tranche of tariffs are going to have on not only American customers, but also the small retail shop or the small restaurants out in America. So I would say request to testify by June 10th, um, and I think that that's something that I'm happy to send you some of the resources for to get them signed up. But but also make sure that you're part of the process by testifying and by providing um, public comments to share your story. And you don't have to do it on the record here, but also you know, talk to your local chamber of commerce, talk to your local media, talk to your customers about the potential impact of these tariffs. And then the second thing is it is useful now to start looking at your supply chains and whether or not there are options or alternatives for you to mitigate the onslaught of tariffs that have been felt. So if these hearings take place through the end of June, uh, our hope is that the administration, the president, is able to reach a deal by the end of this month. But if that doesn't happen, it is possible that we could have a 25% tariff on a majority of the goods coming in from China in the time frame of the sometime this summer. So I think that, you know, we – it would be prudent of small business owners uh, to be looking at their mitigation strategies that they could possibly source outside of China. Now, we know that there are certain products that you just can't 
source anywhere but China. But I do think that they start need to start looking at uh, their product selection and seeing if, whether or not they can substitute it with other products from other places. That makes a lot of sense, hon. We thank you for your expertise. We might uh, reserve the right to come back and visit with you uh, later in the summer to see how things uh, shook out and, um, you know, with the effort trying to keep our, our uh, listeners informed. But thanks for your time today, hon. Thanks for having me. Now it's time for the legislative scorecard where we go around the country and update you on the key legislative developments. Kick it off wages, Mr. Renzel. That's right. Wages will start up here in the Northeast. Um, I think the biggest one is Delaware, small state, but big news. Uh, They are moving kind of rapidly towards uh, working their way through a $15 an hour minimum wage by 2024. Uh, This legislation uh, is similar to previous cycles where they've not quite gotten across the the finish line. They've been doing different numbers, but now they're at 15. Uh, Look, they adjourn at the end of June, so they got some some work to do over the next couple weeks. This kind of came out of nowhere. There hasn't been a lot of talk about a minimum wage increase in Delaware, and then all of a sudden it's flown through the upper chamber, through the Senate, and we'll see what happens. That's right, and in Pennsylvania, I mean, this is something we've talked about a couple times. The governor keeps trying to push forward his fight for $15 an hour. He's got a bill on the table for $15 an hour by 2025, eliminating the tip credit, as well as eliminating local preemption, which we saw in Colorado this year. Um, This is not going anywhere uh, because in Pennsylvania, you've got a Democratic governor and a Republican-controlled legislature, and they've pretty much vowed not to pass a wage bill. So we don't expect it to move, but important to keep an eye on it. The only reason we're reporting on it is some of the Republican leadership indicated that a marginal, a small wage increase, that they would be open to that as a trade-off for getting a budget deal over the finish line. And then the governor came back and said he wants $15 an hour. So probably not going anywhere, but it's worth watching because... There's been an indication that you know there may be area for compromise. Take yeah. us, take us to New Hampshire. It could happen up in New Hampshire. Uh, we've we've been watching that state all cycle, and it's really kind of ebbed and flowed. They're they're in a last ditch effort right now. To, the House passed legislation to raise it, to raise the wage to twelve dollars an hour, um, but the House did make changes to the original bill, so now it's got to go back to the Senate for another vote. Kind of regardless, the governor has really threatened his veto pen on that bill up there in New Hampshire. Uh, so even if it gets passed, unless it gets some supermajority, it's probably not going to get across the finish line this cycle and will be a political issue for you know the next election cycle, certainly. And then we'll go back out west to Nevada. Could go they, west, young man. Go could west. Could they just end this legislative session? I don't know what's going on out there. It seems like I thought it was over two weeks ago. Yeah, it's it should be over. They're, I think they're pushing back the, the deadline here, and it's keeping alive this minimum wage bill, among other things. Um, we, we're we all over the place. You know, We have the Senate's passed a $12 an hour bill. Um, it's different than the House bill. It's got to go back through the House. The governor's interested in it. You know, they just can't seem to get this thing over the finish line. At the exact same time, there's another bill that would put a constitutional amendment on the ballot, $12 an hour wage. <sighs> Who knows what's going to happen? There's a lot of stuff flying around. It's just a question of can they get it sorted out before the uh, final gavel falls. And uh, we're going to have to stay tuned and, and continue to watch Nevada. And obviously you got a more supportive governor than you've had in the, in the last several cycles. So if they do get something across the finish line, it won't get vetoed like it did before. 
So we, we started in the east, we went to the west. Let's uh, let's close out wages by by ending in the middle of the country, and let's go to the Walmart shareholder meeting. Just touch on that. That's right, and we'll do a deeper dive on this. I think maybe next week or the week after. But um, you know, Walmart had their shareholder meeting. Uh, Senator Bernie Sanders and his presidential. Uh, election run uh, was making a stop there to really rally the the uh, the workers, so to speak. So he spoke um, as a proxy for Walmart workers, calling on the company to enact a $15 starting wage, uh, as well as creating an employee designated spot on their board of directors. Um, I think the company had a had a good opportunity to kind of rebut some of those conversations and talk about what they're doing for their employees. Uh, they just released some programming around high school diplomas, you know, I mean, this type of stuff that they're elevating, uh, you know, in terms of their employees is part of the conversation. I think they did a pretty good job of responding. Yeah, and the CEO um, said from the, from the stage that uh, he would like to see a federal minimum wage increase that was part of that kind of pushing back and and Bernie Sanders, and that got a lot of press. So let's go to paid leave, and let's start in the Northeast again. Back up to New England, guys. Um, look, Connecticut, I think, is the one to watch here. We got the House approving the Senate passed legislation. This is a mandate for 12 weeks of uh, a leave to care for a new child, a sick family member, or your own illnesses, so it's kind of a catch-all. Um, the big thing about this is it calls for a, a half percent payroll tax, um, which which is obviously the funding mechanism that's been in, in debate in a lot of these bills across the board. Um, so we'll continue to watch that, but the governor has been supportive and it's likely to move. And then we got Massachusetts. Um, he had some efforts on, on part of the, some of the business community up there to try and get a three-month delay on implementation of the state's new paid family medical leave program. Folks will remember that was worked out you know, last cycle. It was supposed to go effective July 1. That effort to delay it uh, actually fell short, and so it will begin July 1. The state will begin collecting a 0.63% payroll tax from employers uh, to fund this uh, program that's slated to cost upwards of $800 million. So, I mean, we're seeing that kind of, you know, a lot of these uh, blue states are passing these laws, these paid laws that are actually putting the onus for funding on the employer, um, which is a different model than maybe we've seen in some places in the past. Yeah, and folks need to be aware, obviously, but I, I read too that in Washington, D.C., that um, you're supposed to have started collecting in April um, for the new paid leave family policy, and uh, a lot of payroll companies have not. And so employers are going to be stuck with a July bill for previous months. So just got to make sure you're on top of these things as they start to go into effect. Um, scheduling in Chicago. This was an issue that, that came up. It died away. We had an election. We had six socialists elected to the Chicago City Council. We, uh, we had a new mayor who is progressive, to say the least. So scheduling is back up. Mr. Renzel, tell us what's in that bill. Yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, this has been on pause. I think it's been in the works since 2016, if I remember correctly. But they've been waiting for, for this new, the new mayor to take over, the new administration to come in, the new alderman to be seated because they've got a stronger hand uh, from a labor perspective. So we expect this to move right now um, through some negotiations a couple months back. They've limited the impact to cover uh, employers with at least 30 locations worldwide, uh, and at least 250 people 
employed collectively. So we're going after the big guys, and we're where we've seen where we've seen this uh, this issue actually, you know, succeed from a labor perspective and pass. It's been when they've made that distinction, and you know, way back when when it started in Minneapolis, they went after everybody, and it, it tanked. So they 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 know that that's part of the tactic to get these things moving. So we expect some activity there in Chicago. Not sure how it'll influence statewide discussions in Springfield. Um, but I know everybody's going to be paying close attention to it. And you mentioned Washington, D.C. earlier. My understanding, and we don't have any legislation or anything like that yet, but there's kind of increased chatter about uh, Councilwoman Silverman revisiting that issue. So that's something we'll report on in the coming weeks. Not good. Um, on the labor activity front, so we've got a couple things. Um, the U.S. Uh, Chamber of Commerce, which has been petitioning the Labor Department for some time to take a look at worker centers, these kind of union front groups, and, and categorize them as labor organizations. They have now decided to take that fight to the NLRB. And so this week, uh, they made a push and a petition with the NLRB to um, look at that issue and potentially do some some rulemaking around it. So that's an important development. We'll keep you updated on that. Also of note, Gretchen Carlson, the uh, uh, journalist turned uh, well, I guess she's still a journalist, but she's doing kind of documentary films now instead of um, an on-air personality. And she, um, if you'll remember, part of her leaving uh, the network was involved in some sexual harassment complaints and, and all this. So she has now wrote an opinion piece for the Washington Post condemning McDonald's for their handling of sexual harassment within the workplaces. She has a big microphone um, and that's a big, important name, kind of adding credence and credibility to what has largely been kind of a union-driven charge. Um, and so it, it just adds a little more heft and credibility. Yeah, that's coming. I mean, that you know, that might be about McDonald's, but you could see that spreading pretty far and wide. And if brands aren't kind of stepping up their game to address these issues through internal policies, they might be next on the list. Yeah, no doubt. Speaking of... Uh, Next in the list, let's switch gears and let's talk about taxes, Mr. Renzel, and let's go to good old San Francisco. San Francisco. Yeah, in San Francisco, we've got a uh, contemplating a November ballot, some some of the council members, a November ballot initiative that would put a t- tax, a 0.1% surcharge on CEOs of companies who make more than 100 times more than their median employees. So this is the CEO tax uh, pay ratio issue. Um, a 0.2% surcharge on CEOs make 200 times more. This is um, taxes that are supposed to be allotted to uh, dealing with mental health issues of the homeless in the city. Um, obviously a big deal. They had their their, uh, their their surtax, their gross receipts tax on big business to pay for homeless programs back last year, so they're doing it again. It's obviously a trend in San Francisco. We'll see if it spreads to other cities. And finally, closing things out, um, the franchisee, quote-unquote, Bill of Rights legislation that was up in Alabama and was really quickly moving through the process there and had a lot of uh, important political supporters is dead. I suspect it will be back next year, and uh, it will be another bruising fight. So that is it for the legislative scorecard. Thank you, Mr. Renzel. It's been really nice up here in the D.C. bubble, living the high life, sipping martinis, munching on district donuts, having filet mignon lunches. I've enjoyed having you here in the D.C. bubble, Franklin. Please go back to Orlando now. Keep it warm down there, and we'll, we'll keep your uh, bar stool warm up here. <laughs>